Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. You tuned in to the call on this Monday afternoon, Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, ten stocks picked by you. I put those stocks to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Our uh, panel today. Let's bring them in. David Lane from Ord Minute in Brisbane. David, how are you, sir? Welcome back. Happy New well. Year. All that sort of stuff. Thank you. Uh, yes. And Daniel Ortiz from Stock Doctor in Melbourne, also back from um, holidays as well. I think we caught up with you on the Mornington Peninsula last week or the week before, wasn't it? You're still in your shorts. Yeah, exactly. I got rid of the beard, so officially back at work. Oh, yeah. Looking looking very presentable indeed. All right, let's um, take a look at the first five stocks. We've got a lot to get through today. Uh, Boss Energy, Peninsula Energy, so we're kicking off in the uranium spot. Uh, Then Aristocrat Leisure, Northern Star and Novati. Um, Stock of the day, let's call it. Everyone talking, uh, confession season has uh, well and truly uh, kicked off today ahead of uh, those half-yearly reports, which will be coming out in February. Uh, Appen uh, came out today and said uh, Google is going to terminate its services with all projects with Appen suspended by March 19. Now, Appen had no prior knowledge. Uh, Google accounts for nearly a third of its revenue or $82.5 million in 2023. Appen says it will adjust its strategic priorities on the news and provide further details as its results are released on February 27. Um, Daniel Ortiz, this is a hell of an announcement. Your biggest customer announced a, a third of your revenue says, okay, we're going to pull the plug. Now, we should explain Appen has been always categorised as AI, but it's quite an old-fashioned labour-intensive business, isn't it? It's not a a flash technology company. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Koshi, and that's, the, that's what the market does. It has narratives uh, on stocks and businesses, and oftentimes it gets ahead of itself, and then quickly things can unwind. So, you know, we, we saw Appen already fall 90% from highs of 40-odd bucks, you know, to 4 to $3, and it's fallen 90% again since. So th- that's the danger when you're investing in the share market, I guess. You have to really understand the business. A falling share price and perhaps a cheap valuation on either a consensus t- uh, price target or perhaps a PE ratio, you know, those aren't suitable measures to make long-term investments, and Appen is the perfect case study the reason why you have to genuinely understand the operations of the business you have to understand its outlook uh, and if you did that then you would have been out of this company you know a while ago so you know we, we were in Appen quite early back in I think you know mid mid 2010s and you know we, we wrote it all the way up and then it sold out at about you know mid 20 dollars and still lost 50 percent from the peak 
but you know, considering now where the share prices are, clearly in hindsight, that that's been the right thing to do. So, you know, in my view, yes, fundamentally, we can talk about the update. A lot of things wrong with the company, but it goes back to that old adage that Peter Lynch saying, where you never want to, you know, trim the flowers to water the weeds. You want to be able to maintain a high quality portfolio, and clearly, Appen is a perfect case study as to why that is. Because was it the market or investor didn't understand it? Because everyone talks about AI, um, but Appen's business model is to, it, it hires tens of thousands of people, does it? To basically, not photograph, but sort of embed images so that AI can recognise them. Is that, is that basically the understanding of, of how, what the business does? Yeah, it's effectively a, a data trading or a data set building and training um, providing company. So, you know, if you've ever actually looked at the business yourself, you can you can actually go online and sign up to be, a, you know, a, a training consultant at Appen. And effectively, you know, pictures will come up on the screen and it'll get you to either click on a button to say what it is or so it helps train the data set. That's exactly what you're doing. So like you mentioned, Koshi, very labor intensive. And now, you know, it, effectively what's happened is that the next stage of development in terms of, you know, we're actually probably able to train these data sets internally, which is what all the big companies have done. And hence, all these big companies have pulled away from Appen's business. You know, they've all been able to effectively find ways to develop it and train the data sets themselves through the use of AI. So, right. you know, things are things are rapidly advancing in this technology space and effectively Appen's, you know, old business model has been left behind. Yeah, which I, I think uh, regularly our panels when Appen has come up over the last two years have made that point that AI mm. will probably replace what what it does. But if Daniel, if you if you're still stuck there and you've ridden Appen all the way down and it's at twenty nine cents today, what do you do? Yeah, well, that, that's the issue, Koshi, isn't it? I mean, unfortunately, they, they declined to, to deal with the uh, um, that international company offered to buy them out. If I held the shares, quite simply, look. I probably would have been long gone a long time ago, but at this point, you know, the business not only is its revenues going down, but it's losing clients. Um, you know, you, you simply can't be invested in this. There might be a bounce. We know how share markets operate, um, but the business model is effectively broken. It's not making cash. When will it have to raise again? That's the question. So, no, I, I don't think there's much of an adage to be in this one. Effectively, you know, we all know how markets operate. Like I said, yeah. will it have a bounce? It could even go up fifty percent. But would I want to be in? In this there's just no chance really okay david yeah i think daniel summed it up very very well um it's one of those businesses that i mean today's announcement was terrible uh as you said 30 percent of its revenue gone uh and the company apparently had no prior warning of it um but even when you look at their result they'd lost 20 million dollars last year prior to this announcement uh, so, you know, it's not a not a profitable business, and uh, one that, you know, as the share price shows, has been was once a market darling. Back in August 2020, it was over 38 dollars. Uh, they're now 28 cents. So, unfortunately, if you are someone that's holding on to it since 38 dollars or or 30 dollars or so, um, you'd probably hold on to it. But there's they're probably the only people that I would be in the stock for. Um, the company did come out in their announcement today and try and shed some positive light on the announcement by saying that their November and December result 
was was quite positive and that they've been selling into new markets, particularly China. So, yeah, there may be some silver lining to it, but looking at the announcement today and the share price today, uh, yeah, certainly very, very difficult to see a silver lining at this point. So, but but if you're in it, you'd, you'd hold it at this level? Oh, look, I think you'd probably have to if you're a, a long-suffering shareholder of it. But uh, okay. there's probably not much point selling out now. But um, yeah, as Daniel said, this sort of stock, there could be a bounce at some point in time, but it's not one that I'd be putting any new money into. No, no. So take advantage of a bounce. Uh, you've got tax loss uh, selling season a couple of months away. Yeah, Maybe that's, that's right. On your list. Yeah. Get, get advice from your accountant and, and advisor, of course. Um, all right, let's go into the uh, the first stock that uh, our viewers want a uh, a view on. David Lane, Robert wants a view on Boss Energy, the uh, uh, the uranium company. It's got its uh, honeymoon uranium project in in South Australia. Uranium is absolutely hot at the moment. It's the new lithium. Um, it's yep. got a it's got a chart. Similar to lithium about a year ago, <laughs> not yes, since, since yes. then. Um, number one, what do you think of uranium and and boss? Well, yeah, as you say, uranium's been on a tear. Uh, the the spot price is uh, hundred dollars a pound US, so it's been going very very well. Uh, if you look at the charts and and read some of the the chartist uh, analysis, they're saying well, it's it's going to continue. Um, I'm not really a chartist though, and I look at share prices like this. And you know, even if you take Appen as an example, that back in August 2020, when everything was going great and and it looked like they were the the darling of the market, um, that should have been a time when, in hindsight, uh, Appen shareholders should have been trimming. So I think, as far as Boss is concerned, they've had some positive announcements. The the uranium price is going in the right direction. I wouldn't necessarily be selling out altogether, but I'd be looking at taking profits at this price. Uh, you know, I think that they're they're fairly uh, fully priced. Looking at you know selling some of your holding at least taking advantage of the the price where it is because as you said, lithium was in a similar sort of state twelve months ago. We've seen the the price of lithium come off fairly significantly. Uh, so you know the uranium outlook still positive, but. Who knows what might happen in the in the short mm. term? So I'd be looking at taking okay. advantage of this price. Um, and Daniel, the the story is the theme is that that countries will have to shift to nuclear power to provide baseload energy if they're going to meet their climate change targets. Is uh, sort of the summary of of why uranium is so hot at the moment. Yeah, that, that's a massive part of it, Koshi. And the other part is that the the supply piece where, you know, we've actually seen a lot of the world's largest uranium producing companies, you know, obviously Cameco, um, we saw that the large um, producer, the world's largest producer recently downgrade their outlook as well. So not only has it been, you know, perhaps a demand story, it's also been an issue of supply, not being able to keep up. Um, and that's obviously due to low commodity prices create less incentive for reinvestment by these companies. So they're just not able to keep up with output until they have that money 
back sunk into the ground. And then obviously you see the opposite of that when commodity prices are high. So when it comes to the story of uranium and the thesis, yeah, I think that's well understood. People have been saying it, you know, for about 12 months now. If you need to go back and revisit that, there's so much information out there uh, for anyone to get their hands on. And I suggest if you're in the space, you know, go have a look at both sides. You know, understand probably you need to understand how these operations actually run, especially the in-situ recovery method of uranium mining and, and you know, really understand how that could change in the next year or so. But just judging off the fact that we keep seeing large producers downgrade, it probably does mean that, look, you're going to have a strong market for another 12 months, right? So we saw that with lithium. We saw a period of very low prices effectively crunch the industry and then the, the industry transformed to batteries from, you know, what was traditionally more ceramics and glass. So, you know, we've actually got a similar type of setup in, in terms of the supply view here. I think that's actually been exacerbated by recent large company updates. The question is now, you know, how do you play the thematic? Boss is probably one of the companies I would actually look at because it has a genuine project in Restart. Um, obviously, the project in, in South Australia there, it's I think around close to two or, or three million pounds of uranium per annum. So it's not a large amount. Um, relatively speaking, and looking at the valuation of the company, and yes, I know they raised some money to to invest in an American project as well. But we're looking at probably, you know, at high uranium prices, a, a multiple, an EV to EBITDA multiple of over ten times within a few years, which is just still very difficult for me to grasp for for effectively a mining business. Like, you know, you can buy BHP on half of that multiple, so. Mm -hmm. That says to me, Koshi, that the equities are pricing in even higher uranium prices. So how do you want to play that? I'd be cutting at these at these valuations. I'd be looking to take some profit and potentially looking at some of the other development projects out there. So we're going to talk about another one, obviously the next company, the company coming up and perhaps there's a, a few options out there. So I'd be trimming boss. Um, mm. Clearly, you want to be exposed to this space. I, I think, you know, my comments on supply is probably the reason why I'd want to be exposed here. Um, but perhaps there are other ways to do it in my view. Yeah, because on that, that supply space, there are a lot of uranium mines and mothballs that can easily be brought back online. Um, can't it to sort sort any supply problems. One of them, of course, Olympic Dam in South Australia, one of the world's biggest uranium mines that BHP owns. Yeah, exactly. So even with Olympic Dam, Kosh, I mean, BHP has said themselves they're not looking to ramp up that mine specifically for the purpose of uranium. And it's only, it's less than, I would say, 1% of their revenue. So, you know, right. it's not a big mover. But even if you look at the, the production from um, Olympic Dam, I looked last year, I think it's over 3,000 tonnes. You have to do a tonnes to pounds conversion. You know, you're talking about something that's many, many multiples times the size of something like Boss's project. Yeah. So. Yeah, you've got to consider the size of these projects um, because a lot of these ones in mothballs, they are quite small. Um, the real supply response will come from these huge projects in, in situ recovery, which is effectively like a, a, a almost like a brine method where they're right. pumping you know, a soluble product. So that can expand quite quickly. Um, as we've heard a few people on the show talk about, you know, that, that can expand very rapidly relative to, say, your traditional open pit mining methods, right. okay. et cetera. So, yeah. All right. The next stop will want to view on Peninsula Energy, which is one of those development companies. Uh, uh, it's Lance Uranium Project is, uh, um, is, is the biggest revenue generator in Wyoming in the U.S., um, um, is this, Daniel, one of the alternatives to BOSS if you want to play the area? 
it's certainly an alternative and you know they've just raised a bunch of capital to restart their project now so are they fully funded you'd, you'd hope so after the dilution shareholders have faced i think that raised at about seven and a half cents with options attached so in my view much cheaper valuation um you know the project's going to produce around 1.8 million uh, 1.8 um, million pounds so again it's a small project in the scheme of things but you know what i would rather put my attention to is something which looks like you know a lot more scale a lot more cash flow potential and that's that's a company where you know a lot of people have spoken about it. it's next gen energy so it's listed in canada we have cdis in australia you know that's going to produce I think something like 30 million pounds per annum. So you're talking about 10 times the scale relative to some of these companies. And keep in mind, you know, Boss, like I said, is looking to produce 3 million pounds. So I think when you're looking at this space, you probably want to look at something which is genuinely a world-class deposit, very low costs, long line, uh, long mine lives, et cetera. So, you know, you still want to be investing in, in, you know, mining stock fundamentals, in my view. You don't want to be taking you know, unnecessary risks here because there is already enough froth in the space. Whereas when I look at NextGen, I think, look, that's a project that probably doesn't belong in a single developer's hand. It looks like it belongs in a, in a much larger mining company's hand. So that's probably been the way that I would like to play the space. So you'd go NextGen? Yeah. Right. Peninsula? Look, it's not it's not my preferred. I right. mean, even after they raise this capital, it's just so dilutive and yes you right. know that they, they they look to be producing cash flow soon it's a, it's a small restart but i mean i would just much prefer to be in, yep. in a high quality company okay. fair enough uh david lane yeah i think daniel's obviously a, a more learned expert in the field than i am but certainly peninsula when you do compare it to boss uh, much smaller business their market cap's about 211 million compared to Boss's 2.2 billion. Uh, so, yeah, certainly much different companies, but as far as their share price is concerned, Peninsula uh, is not trading at the lofty levels that, that Boss is. Uh, so, potentially, it's one of those ones that if you're looking to get some exposure to that sector and see that ramp up over the next 12 months of, of the uh, Lance project coming online producing production. The company thinks that it will come into uh, be cash flow positive over the next 12 months. So there are some positives there, uh, but it is a, a small cap and it is, is speculative. And as Daniel said, they've raised $50 million. They're still currently doing a share purchase plan to raise another 10. And then, then they're going to look for debt fund funding for the development. So there's the potential that this is the first of many capital raisings for Peninsula. So I'd be wary of that. Um, probably one that I'd be you know, steering clear of given the, the speculative nature of the business. Okay. All right. Uh, Lillian wants a view, David, on um, Aristocrat Leisure, uh, the big poker machine manufacturer, but also uh, gaming systems, casino systems as well. Uh, there's a bit of a casino management systems, bit of online gaming there. Uh, as we always say with stocks like this here at the call, we don't put an ESG filter over it because everyone's ESG filter is different to everybody else. So that's up to you to do. Uh, we just look at the company and the investment potential. Uh, what do you think of Aristocrat? Yeah, and, and as far as investment potential is concerned, it's it's a great business. They're one of the, the global leaders as far as the uh, gaming technology is concerned. Uh, and the thing that Aristocrat does compared to a number of its competitors is it invests heavily in R&D. 
So they're continually coming up with new games, with new, um, you know, new technology, and it is a global leader as far as that's concerned. Uh, we think that you know the business is reasonably priced at current levels. We've got a, a fair value of forty-five dollars, so they're currently trading below that. So we've got an accumulate recommendation on it, and uh, yeah, think that the the growth outlook for the business is actually uh, very positive. Um, they have a good balance sheet and should continue to to grow their revenues and, and grow their market share. Mm. Uh, Daniel, yeah, we really like this business. Uh, you know, it's it's a business that does twenty percent net margins. Uh, returns on capital are well above that, well above 20%. It trades at a market multiple, um, or it trades at a multiple, which is effectively below the market, excluding banks and resources. So you're getting a high quality business for what I would consider a relatively fair price. It does have a bit of a discount attached to it because of the fact that the digital growth is slowing significantly. We, you know, keep in mind, they had the number one online game in the world during lockdown uh, in Raid Shadow Legends. So you're never going to be able to you know, comp that in terms of earnings growth. Like that, that was absolute peak um, earnings growth out of their digital division. Now they're having to supplement that with acquisition. So, you know, we're still very comfortable with the business. We hold it. We think the valuation is very, very fair. Um, at this point in time, though, we would like to see where the next leg of growth is going to come from because we know that they have large market share in the physical um, the, the, the physical business and they're doing very well in the US volumes are up, I think, high single digits as well. So things are going along well, but the question is, where is that next leg of growth going to come from? Um, will that be driven by the digital business? You know, the market certainly wants that to happen. But you know, it probably will take a bit of time. So you know, we certainly think it's a great company. Happy to hold it here. If it drops a bit further, it probably looks like an, an attractive buy for us. Okay, but a hold at these levels. Okay. Yeah. Um, Daniel, uh, Shane wants a view on Northern Star, uh, one of our uh, what top two, I reckon, gold producers here in this country. Yeah. So I, I think it's a it's a Basically, the largest by production ounces now that Newmont's go. Uh, uh, now that Newcrest has gone to Newmont. Now, technically, we have the CDIs listed here uh, for Newmont, so you can still invest in that. But um, you know, it kind of is kind of the, the largest gold producer for us now on the ASX. What I will say about Northern Star is. Yes, it's producing a lot of gold, about 1.4 million ounces per annum, but they're investing a lot of that capital back into the super pit. So, you know, they've basically got a capital budget of about one and a half billion, which is the most I've seen from from Northern Star um, basically ever. So on an actual underlying cash flow basis, despite record Aussie gold prices, there isn't too much going on in the cash balance there. Um, analysts actually project that the, the capital budgets that they have for that project look a little bit light on as well. So it's not really a surprise to me to see that the gold equities haven't really done much considering where the Aussie gold price is. It's probably a function of, you know, just a lack of cash flows in the short term um, and, you know, questions about reliability of outlook. So they had a relatively poor first half. They did kick the can down the road in terms of average costs and, and production for the second half, which is always a bit of a risk in this space. So in my view, there are better value names in the space, especially in the mid tiers, which are actually producing more free cash flow than Northern Star, oh. even though it's a $14 billion business, just because they're investing so much back into their assets. So I would probably rather be in the cash harvesting phase at this point. Uh, gives you a little bit more optionality with the balance sheet and so on and so forth. And the valuations 
aren't stretched at all in the mid-tier. So right. I, I'd probably be looking elsewhere for opportunities. Yeah, like what? So one, even with a, a, a bit of a stretched valuation is Capricorn, which we like. You know, it has a very low-cost growth option there um, at the Mount Gibson project. And the other one, which is just on a ridiculous valuation, if you ask me, just due to the fact that it's in West Africa's Perseus. So it has some growth troubles ahead. We know that. Um, but I just think the valuation for Perseus relative right. to other miners at the moment is just so cheap. Okay. So if you're in Northern Star, would you rotate out of it into these others or or um, a hold if you're in it? Yeah, look, my preference would be to rotate. The, I think there are better value options out there. I would even call out Regis as perhaps one that not many people have followed for good reason, but I think that's one that could have a big turnaround um, as well in, in the next few quarters given that okay. they finally close out the hedge book. So uh, I, I think that's one to put on the radar as well. Okay. Uh, David Lane, what's the uh, odds view at Northern Star? Yeah, odds view is, is fairly similar to Daniel. We've got a hold recommendation on it. I um, think that it's fairly fully valued at current levels. Our target <clears> price is twelve twenty, where they're they're trading at twelve thirty four at the moment. Um, Northern Star is undoubtedly a, a world class business. They've got great management. They've got world class assets. Um, and as Daniel said, that they have been reinvesting in growth. So uh, they're actually due to report their quarterly result on Wednesday of this week. And our analyst is forecasting about 11% increase in their production quarter on quarter. But last quarter, they did have some shutdowns. So what they're really looking for in the in the result is uh, some signs that the their big uh, KCGM uh, project is is growing. Um, so yeah, there's there's certainly some great assets there. But as far as valuations are concerned, I think that it's fairly fully priced. Um, as Daniel said, I think there's better options out there. We tend to like Romelius, Gold Road Resources, and also Silver Lake as being better value plays. Um, if you if you're looking for some some exposure to the gold sector, okay. All right, uh, David. Our next stock, uh, the fifth one in this half hour. Peter wants a view on Navati, the uh, the fintech, um, which is um, helping businesses process and and bill. It's um, um, sort of a a few of these around, aren't they, to to help small business process their payments. Yeah, there are, and it's um, you know one. I suppose that the sceptic in me looks at it and thinks, ah, uh, uh, you know, they're competing against the major banks. It's it's a difficult market. Um, steer clear of it. But then, having said that, I also thought that initially for the likes of Afterpay and and, and other sort of businesses. So, um, you know, if you if you do have a positive mindset and have that risk appetite. It's an interesting business. The revenues have actually been growing. They've been growing their, their market share. So it, it, it is a business that um, yeah, provides those, those built payment um, solutions for small businesses predominantly and startup type businesses. So yeah, the, the share price is, is terrible as, as far as where they've been over recent years. Um, but as I said, their revenues are improving. It, it is a business that has potential to grow. Um, they're currently or have recently raised some money through a, a convertible note to raise three and a half million dollars as well as a share purchase plan to raise two million. Um, it, it is a, a very small player in that in that bill payments segment. So mm. yeah, it, it's 
it's probably one I would personally be steering clear of. But if you've got an appetite for risk and, and want some exposure there, it's a reasonable business. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, look, it's it's tough, isn't it? I think the one-year price chart kind of says it all for me. So I haven't really followed this one too closely, but you know they've had a few transactions in the past, selling businesses, selling stakes uh, in other in other businesses that they've had to to fund the paydown of debt, etc. So, look, I, I'm not following this one too closely from an operational point of view. All I saw was effectively the the balance sheet's been in a bit of you know disarray. They had to hold extra capital for re- regulatory requirements, and they had to do that by f- the funding of a convertible note, which is never really a good sign. Um, and the cost of that convertible note, you know, you're getting 10% interest, but you're getting a huge amount of, of uh, free options attached to that. So it looks like an encumbering capital structure as well. So, you know, I, I think this is another one where I'd probably bite the bullet, similar to Appen's. Um, I would probably, you know, if, I'm, if I've got my eye on the payment space, you know, I'd much rather be out of this um, and look at, you know, something with a bit more of an established base, even like a smart pay. I think the runway for even a company like smart pay is still quite long and, and they're a business that's actually executing from all levels you want to see profitability, uh, growth, et cetera. So, you know, it probably goes to show the difference in preference for types of yeah. investments. Um, obviously this one's a lot more speculative and the capital structure just doesn't look very appealing to me. So at, even at these levels, if I could, I'd just sell and cop the loss, um, and if there is a turnaround operationally, I'd rather be in it then uh, rather than trying to, you know, kind of bottom pick at these levels. Yep, fair enough. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks. Stock of the day, um, Appen, after its announcement today that uh, Google is going to withdraw as a customer, accounting for about 30% of its revenue. Uh, Daniel has a sell on it. David saying if you've, if you've run it down that long, uh, this far, and you're still in it, uh, probably uh, hold out, see if there's a bounce um, in the share price coming up, uh, and then maybe look at that as an opportunity to get out then. Um, boss, both David and Daniel saying take profits at these levels. It's had, had a huge run. Uh, Peninsula Energy, a no from both, although as an alternative in this next tier down of, uh, of uranium um, stocks, um, Daniel likes next gen as the one that's, um, that's well valued at the moment. Uh, Aristocrat is a, um, a uh, buy from, from David. Uh, Daniel has a hold on it, but would look at buying on weakness, a good company. Uh, Northern Star, uh, a hold from David, but Ords prefers Romelius, Gold Road and Silver Lake. Uh, Daniel would rotate out of Northern Star, which um, he believes is fully valued at the moment. And there's better investing in groups like, like Regis, Capricorn and Perseus. And Nabati is uh, a no from David, a sell uh, from Daniel. If you're looking at a stock in this sector, um, smart pay could be a better opportunity for you. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. Um, last committee meeting was back in December. That's on the platform to look at the moment. Uh, no January meeting because of the break. Uh, a February meeting is coming up very shortly. Back in December, uh, the committee added ResMed, Car Group and Johns Ling. Uh, 
took profits off Wes Farmers, RPM Global and MA Financial and the fund is up almost 19% at the moment. Uh, this half hour, we're going to run the ruler over Pangana Private Equity Trust, NIB, Main Pharma, Fletcher Building and Charter Hall Social Infrastructure REIT. Um, David Lane, uh, Peter wants a view on Pangana Private Equity Trust, uh, uh, an investment manager, um, says time horizon over 10 years, uh, mainly looks at private equity, private credit and opportunistic investments. What do you think of Pangana? Yeah, Pengana have had a great history as being very, very good managers. They've got a number of different funds. Um, their emerging growth fund has done exceptionally well over a long period of time. And their their private uh, equity fund is, is a good quality fund. It gives you, it's effectively an alternative investment uh, and gives you exposure to, um, you know, the, the private markets, uh, which have been fairly hot over the last couple of years. A lot of uh, fund managers have been heading into the, the private markets, which gives you an exposure to businesses that aren't aren't listed around the world. Uh, this has about 78% of its, of its portfolio exposed to North America. So it is uh, giving you some, some global capabilities. Uh, and they're trading at a slight discount to NTA. So their NTA, as at their last result, was uh, $1.52.6 uh, $1. um, once it, including the, the tax. So trading at a slight discount gives you a reasonable uh, yield of about 4%. So if you are looking for some exposure to alternatives in your portfolio, this is a good way of doing it because it gives you some liquidity, whereas a lot of the, the managed funds that give you exposure to alternatives um, don't have that liquidity. So this this does actually give you that Right. So, well, would you be buying it if you if you're after alternatives? Yeah, I think it, it's certainly uh, yeah one of the the reasonable alternatives or <laughs> the yeah. reasonable ways yeah. to get exposure to alternatives. So yeah, I think I'd I'd be looking at buying them. Okay, um, Daniel. Yeah. Look, I, I probably won't comment too much further on that. Obviously, the I think it is effectively like a, a fund to funds type of vehicle. Um, the manager, I believe, when I looked at the website, is, is Grosnevoe Capital Management, which isn't someone I'm familiar with in the private equity space. Obviously, when you think private equity, you, you know, you think the large kind of US names, KKR, Blackstone, you know, Carlyle Group in Australia, TPG Group, etc. So, um, it's not someone I'm very familiar with. You know, obviously, i I've more, more so research direct equity. So if you're in this one, you know, I suggest you just speak to your financial advisor to get a full, full overview um, to understand if it's relevant to your personal needs because there are a lot of managers in the space. Um, and obviously, Pengana is well known, but the underlying investment manager isn't someone I'm I'm too familiar with. So perhaps just if you're comfortable with this investment, it's right for you, you know, reasonable to hold. Um, but of, of course, you know, you have to be doing your due diligence on the investment manager as well not just kind of the, the proprietor in Pingana in this case. Yep, okay. All right, uh, next stock, Moro. Uh, Daniel wants a view on NIB. Moro says this stock appears to be both a growth stock with a good dividend. Does the panel agree with this? What are the risks for this type of stock? NIB, of course, the big private health insurer, um, not only with its own products, but also white labels for, for other health insurance products. I think I think Qantas 
private health insurance is NIB white labelled. So it, it has an interesting uh, strategy in terms of building market share. Daniel, what do you think of NIB? Yeah, I think NIB have actually been really good operators in the space, you know, growing their business, like you said, with partnerships, white labeling. Obviously, they, they operate under very different brands. And one thing which kind of hurt them during COVID um, was a, they do a lot of travel insurance as well, which is relatively high margin. So the, the thing at the moment with the PHIs, the private health insurers, is that, you know, you, you've just gone through arguably the best period ever for them. The fact that they were receiving premium revenues, but weren't paying out any claims or, you know, much claims at all because hospitals were effectively co- closed for elective surgeries you know that that's the biggest expense and and the biggest concern for insurers right the claims that are made against them so in my view now we're starting to see an elevated period of claims reducing margins the the cost to serve those claims are going up significantly now that's an ongoing battle between hospitals and the private health insurers themselves which will probably mean you know the 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 inflation rate in premiums will be a little bit higher unfortunately i know the government has a lot of say over that um but that that's probably the biggest you know, headwind and the biggest risk for these companies at the moment. So I'm actually not too positive on the private health insurance space. Even our financials analyst, Ryan, has probably said, look, this, you know, on the on the face of things, if you had to be somewhere, it would be the insurance brokers. And now they're not in health insurance, um, but I think that there's probably the best way to play that right. overall insurance thematic at the moment. So, you know, I, I think it's a better performer. Oh, it's, excuse me. I think it's a, actually got a better outlook than Medibank. So if I was in Medibank, I would actually consider swapping the exposure there. But overall, you know, I'd actually have a more favorable view on the brokers. So that's the, the steadfast and the AUBs and those sort of companies. Yeah, we, we own AUB. We're, we're quite comfortable with that as our exposure in our portfolios, okay. Koshi. Hmm. Uh, David Lane? Yes, yeah, a fairly similar sort of uh, view. And we spoke about Medibank last week on, on the call. And um, yeah, we are at a period where there is some policy owner growth, but it's not giving you s- significant growth. So forecasts are that uh, policyholders should grow by about 3% for NIB and that premiums grow about 3.5%. So to answer the viewer's question, I don't necessarily think that NIB is necessarily a growth business, but it is growing uh, and will pay a decent dividend yield of of 4.1%. Just on the the private health accounts for about 75% of their business, um, and I think there's probably a bit of a risk for not only NIB and Medibank, but the sector in general in that 30th of June, we're actually having some fairly significant stage three tax cuts. One of the incentives for people to take out private healthcare is the, the tax benefits. So we may well see a bit of a change there. We haven't actually seen a, um, an impact from the cost of living on private healthcare yet, but we could well see that um, post 30 June. Um, the other part of NIB's business which you mentioned that the Qantas travel, um, that agreement's rolled off. So they're no longer giving the uh, the uh, white label travel uh, insurance for Qantas, oh. but they are about to start or have just started one for Woolworths. So they do do that business for others. Uh, and they've also made a recent, recent acquisition into NDIS insurance as well. So that's probably the element of the, 
the business where they get some growth. Um, but current levels, we've got a whole recommendation on it. Um, target price of $7.50. So they're trading a little bit above uh, where we think they should be at the moment. Okay. All right, let's uh, move into uh, pharmaceuticals. And David, Les wants a view on Maine Pharma, a manufacturing base in South Australia. Uh, 90% of its revenue comes out of the US. Um, what do you think of Maine Pharma? Yeah, it's actually a, a good business. As you said, it's it's largely uh, a US-based business now, and they specialise in the, the women's, women's health and um, dermatology pharmaceuticals so as you see by the share price it's come off a, a reasonable amount uh, since the, the end of last year uh, reasonable value at current levels they're on a PE of 3.6 times um, they have actually turned the business around fairly well over the last couple of years they you know, had a, a tough period but management have been fairly focus on their costs. So they actually generated a, a net profit after tax of 117 million on 183 million of, of sales. So, you know, it's, the business has been in a turnaround phase. So I think at current levels, it's it's a reasonable price. So I'd be looking at, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at buying them at current prices. Uh, Daniel, what about you? Um, look at that, they've had a, just come off uh, the end of last year, five year highs by the look of it. Yeah, I think there might've been a share consolidation yes. there, Koshi. So I'm not sure yet that's, yeah. Um, I think this stock was once uh, valued much, much higher, but it's such a difficult, I mean, anyone who's looked at the reports of this company, uh, give me a call if you know what's going on, because there's just so much going on here. And I think the the main reason why they booked such a large profit is because they sold um, some of their best performing division to a US company for about 580 US million, big sale price. Um, and hence, they, they recorded a gain, and that's where the profitability came from. The underlying operations that they have in dermatology and, and women's health are actually loss-making at the moment, but they're starting to hit that inflection point going into profitability. So that's what um, David was speaking about with the turnaround um, that management have been focusing on as we're starting to pass that inflection point and their big revenue bases as well. Like I think they reported 90 something million, you know, in revenue for a quarter. So, you know, if they can get a, a small incremental margin there, you know, we're talking about pretty significant base of profits um, and the company has a lot of cash left over from that sale. It's buying back stock. Management actually want to, uh, to get approval to buy back a, a larger percentage of their stock, which I guess is a good sign. So, you know, it's, it's a bit obscure. Um, it's very difficult to find what's going on. I mean, they don't report it in a very friendly way. I know there's been one-off adjustments, et cetera, but just the way they report it doesn't look yeah. like it's a very user-friendly way. I think once we start to see a lot of these one-offs roll off, Koshi, from historical sales, et cetera, things will get a lot clearer. And you know that's perhaps when the market will actually get onto this stock and, and understand where it's going from. Because a lot of the times, until we start to see the cash flow actually imported you know into our data templates etc people just don't know what's what's going on so i can understand the thesis for this company management look like they you know they have a really good understanding of their business and know what they're doing so if you're in it i'd actually give it a hold but it's probably a little bit too obscure and and complicated for me i'd much rather wait for the financials to be um reported in in, in due time and understand things oh, that's at, interesting. At a clear review. so how long will that take to wash through for you 
Well, at this point, because obviously they've just gone through asset sales, et cetera, like that, that's been in the past. Now they have things like, you know, the difference in fair value considerations for businesses that they've paid for, um, that they're going to have to make contingent payment for, et cetera, in the P&L statement, which is giving a bit of a headache. I think by the end of this year, so even the report coming up will be a little bit confusing. The end of this year, things will look a lot clean and that can coincide with, you know, right. a much better outlook okay. in terms of gross margins etc so I, I can understand the thesis for this stock it's a bit obscure though it's probably not the type of field i, I typically like to play in yep okay all right that's interesting um all right uh, david uh david lane jordan wants a view on fletcher building the new zealand-based building and materials company um would it be best to uh, this is sort of the boral of new zealand is it is that a sort of fair fair comparison or a James Hardy of New Zealand in building products, steel distribution, construction development, one of New Zealand's top 20 companies. Yeah, in some respects, it's certainly um, yeah, exposed to that building materials uh, sector. Um, predominantly, Fletcher focus on the, the timber uh, and you know, that sort of side of the business. Paul right. has a bit more exposure to, to ash felt and, um, and cement, et cetera. But yes, definitely exposed to the the housing cycle, uh, both predominantly in New Zealand, but but somewhat in Australia as well. They've got some operations in in Western Australia in their Iplex um, pipes um, business. It's one of those businesses that fundamentally um, is actually reasonably priced. So we've got a an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, target price of five dollars fifty. They're currently trading at four thirty six. But part of that re that valuation is is because the business hasn't been performing that well in recent times, and we've seen right. a downturn in uh, the New Zealand building cycle. Uh, the companies even forecast that they they think that their volumes will be down about five percent next year. So, um, you know, it's not not a high growth business uh, in the current cycle. And when you compare it to the likes of James Hardy and and Boral etc., it is cheap. Uh, it's trading on a PE ratio of nine times. Um, so, you know, if you are a long-term value investor, it's, you know, it, it's reasonable. As I said, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. It's not the most exciting of businesses. And I'd probably be holding off buying at the moment because they're due to re report on the 14th of Feb. Right. So coming into the reporting season, it's probably unlikely that it's one of those stocks that will report above expectations right. um, so you may even see a bit of a, an opportunity uh, you know if it is a little bit softer than what the market's anticipating could be an opportunity to buy in at a, at a cheaper price okay so it uh, would you put it in that same sector though as Boral James Hardy and yep. and if you if you do uh, are they better options? The well not based on fundamentals because right. the um, Boral is currently trading on a PE of 41 times. Oh, um, oh, wow. James Hardy, PE of 30 times. So oh, that's a big gap, currently, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got lightened recommendations on Boral, CSR, and, and James Hardy CSR, based right. on their fundamentals. Oh, okay. So Fletcher is comparatively good. looks more attractive. Right. That's interesting. Uh, Daniel, what's your view on Fletcher? Yeah, I never really had a deep look at this business. 
Koshi. And, um, you know, I actually wasn't aware that you had such a large building products and, and materials business and also cement uh, and concrete as well. Like they're, they're billion dollar businesses. Um, I thought it was mainly just in commercial and residential construction. The, the thing that concerns me with Fletcher and, and anyone who's followed New Zealand in terms of interest rates and just the, the general economy there is that obviously they went a lot harder on the policy tightening um, regime there and we're starting to see a, a much larger economic response. I, I just have really big concerns there in regards to volumes for the New Zealand business, like $5 billion of their revenue comes from New Zealand. It's mainly, you know, a New Zealand business. They, they've actually said that you know, the Australian business is holding up quite well, which goes to show that the stark difference, I guess, in economies based on what's going on in, in the policy tightening regimes there. Perhaps it might even allude to, you know, we, we actually do need a bit of a, an interest rate increase in Australia. So I just think there's significant risk, even to the, the poor outlook in that New Zealand business. And we know with these types of companies, margins are very thin. So it doesn't take much of a slip in volumes or, or costs or, or revenues to create a really big bottom line impact. So, you know, the balance sheet will start to come into question at the end of the FY24 financial year because it's going to be weak. Uh, and I could certainly see a world where, the, where this stock heads lower because of that. So I'd actually rather not be in it at the moment, wait for that report, wait to see some of the New right. Zealand economic data, particularly in, in new homes, uh, construction and things like that. Um, and then, you know, wait to judge my, my reevaluation of the stock there because we know that cycles can be very, very deep for these types of businesses. And unlike, you know, the other companies which we've mentioned, James Hardy, Boral, you know, they're obviously much more exposed to that building products distribution type businesses. They have, you know, better margins, better uh, better returns on capital, et cetera. So there is right. more of a buffer there. And those businesses do have more exposure to the US, which we've actually seen um, obviously held up a lot, a lot more uh, firmer than perhaps what we've seen in New mm. Zealand. So okay. at this point in time, I'd actually prefer to sell and, and reassess okay. yeah, once I get a better data, data right. output. Okay. And our final stock, Daniel Stephen wants to be on the Charter Hall Social Infrastructure REIT. Uh, of course, Charter Hall, one of the big um, ASX listed um, REIT managers, property managers. This is one in their portfolio. 370 properties, mainly childcare, healthcare facilities, uh, and transport hubs. Um, defines this particular REIT um, of a whole portfolio of different REITs that they manage. Yep, hit the nail on the head there, Koshi. So it, it was formerly basically, you know, 100% uh, in childcare assets, but they've kind of diversified that. And look, the, the cynic, uh, the cynicist in me says that obviously during that peak of, of property in, in 2020, 2021, uh, more 2021, excuse me, you know, Charter Hall were just doing whatever they could to grow their farm and just tacking on whatever acquisitions they could make and really stretching the gearing of their underlying vehicles. So, you know, I think that's why they changed their name and went into more social infrastructure rather than just childcare. Um, but the portfolio does look very reasonable. Trading at a big discount uh, to NTA, I think that's warranted given that a lot of the transactions were made at high prices. We need to see those revalued down. Um, but, you know, we actually own this one and, and more so because of that valuation piece there. And the fact that the dividend looks relatively, you know, attractive in the space, I would say that, you know, obviously the underlying fundamentals for their portfolio are actually in, in good nick. Whereas if you look at, you know, diversified, more commercially exposed REITs, they're a lot more challenged. So mm. what we like about CQE is that, you know, they're actually got an under-rented portfolio. We've seen evidence of when their leases expire in childcare, they're being re-signed for, you know, around 5% higher than what they were. 
most commercial REITs are actually seeing that the other way when they re-sign office tenants or, or retail tenants. It's actually being released or the spreads are negative. So you know, that's a positive for us and, and why we're happy to hold this one in a bit more of a unique space. Um, so still think there's a little bit of value here. But to be honest, if I had to pick one reader, I'd actually rather go for Arena in this space. I, I think it is a bit more well-managed, conservatively, conservatively managed, and um, they have a bit more kind of uh, margin upside in their development portfolio as well. So right. happy to hold this one. But if you're looking for an opportunity, potentially have a look at Arena Reit. Okay. All right. That's an interesting one. Uh, David, what do you think of the Charter Hall social infrastructure? Yeah, look, it's a very good quality business or very good quality assets. Uh, it's got a, a weighted average lease expiry of 13 years, 100% occupancy. So uh, you've got some consistency of, of income coming through there, yield of about 6%. Uh, so there's certainly uh, no real negatives about the the business. Uh, as Daniel said, they're trading at about a 30% discount to its NTA, um, but there are not just for this REIT, but right across the sector, there are some concerns about the valuations. Um, we did see in their last result that they they did take a bit of a, a hit on some of the valuations. So, you know, there's, although they're at a 30% discount, you can't necessarily guarantee that that MTA, NTA will hold up in the next result. Um, it's a it's comment, one that we, Yeah, it's a comment, David, sorry. that a few on the panel have made over recent weeks is that, REITs have all been treated the same. Um, yeah. They're all at sort of a 30% discount um, and investors aren't looking into, okay, what does a REIT do? Like like storage centres, uh, the yeah. Abacus and uh, National Storage are totally different to a commercial uh, property REIT, but they're trading on a similar discount, which yeah. gets people baffled. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's where the, these assets are good quality. Um, their tenants are largely government or, or locked in for a long period of time. Um, yeah. As Daniel said, they've got at least 3% um, uplift in their in their um, leases. And then when they go for renewal, uh, they're getting higher than that. So, yeah, I think it's a better quality uh, mm. REIT exposure than certainly office and yeah. you know, we'd have a different view on office and Charter Hall have been very good managers over the over the time. So it's not one that we officially cover. We cover three other Charter right. Hall uh, funds, but um, yeah, I'd be willing to, to buy this at current levels. Okay. All right. All right. Let's recap the, uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Pengana, um, if you're looking for uh, exposure to alternative investments like private credit, infrastructure. Uh, according to uh, David Lane, uh, this is a good way of doing it. So he'd be happy to buy at these levels. Uh, a hold from uh, from Daniel. Uh, NIB, a no from, from Daniel. Um, they, Stock Doctor, Lincoln Indicators prefer the um, uh, the insurance brokers like your uh, uh, like your AUBs and and Steadfast uh, a hold from David uh, Main Farmer a buy from David a hold from Daniel uh, Fletcher um, even though awards have it accumulate on it David was saying look wait until they report to see how they're going in the, in the market sentiment. Um, uh, for the New Zealand building materials market and housing market. Um, Daniel has a sell on it and Charter Hall, a buy from David, a hold from Daniel. Uh, but in that space, 
prefers the arena REIT, which is basically only childcare centres. Um, David Lane from Ords in Brisbane. Thank you, mate. Always great to catch up. Uh, Thank appreciate you. Appreciate your time on a Monday. Daniel Ortiz from uh, Stock Doctor. Mate, always good to catch up as well, likewise. Good to see you both. Thank you again. Thanks, Koshi. Uh, really good session, that one, isn't it? Daniel and uh, David, always really, really informative. I, I love listening to them and the way that they analyse different stocks. Um, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover and for me to put to our expert panel, they're the experts on this. I'm... I, I just sort of moderate the discussion, if you like. Um, send them through to us. Go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us on X using the at TV handle. And if you want to add any specific comments or questions about the stocks that you uh, nominate, please add them. It's terrific. We love those comments um, and really gives the panel a lot more feedback on what you're after in terms of their opinion. Uh, that's it from me for today. See you same time tomorrow, midday Eastern Daylight Time for another edition of The Call. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.